happening, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of The Beautiful Hustle, the podcast that connects the heart to the hustle of the beauty industry. And we're out of quarantine. I'm here with my co-host again, Jessica Saunders. Hello, Philip Procopio. We are wild and free and out of quarantine. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Thank goodness. We are happy to say we both tested negative. Yep. Um, we both did our part, though, in keeping our community safe and staying locked up for 10 days. So first recording back out of quarantine and excited to be here. So excited. Um, today's conversation is one that we feel like needs to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a learning curve on the subject for a lot of people, and we're happy to be the ones to um, bring this information to this platform and share it on a bigger scale. Yes. So today we're going to be talking with Kristen Rankin from Fox and Jane Salons out of Toronto. She is also the founder of the Dress Code Project, and she is a global ambassador for Pantene. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited. I was telling Philip when I discovered I discovered you on Instagram, and I was saying I I feel a little bit embarrassed or like annoyed with myself that this subject and this conversation wasn't even on my radar. Um, it wasn't until I saw a post about the gender free haircut pricing that that thought even came to my mind. And I'm really involved in this industry. So I'm a little ashamed that <laughs> my brain didn't trigger that to me. So I'm grateful for that portion of discovering you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, in terms of the beauty industry, it, you're not alone in that, you know, I think it's just how, um, it's how we've been trained. You know, I'm a queer person. I identify as non-binary. Um, I use they, them pronouns. And for the first two years of my career, when I opened my salon 13 years ago, I set up my pricing system as men's and women's haircuts because that's how I learned how to do it in school. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was just like, you just learn and you learn and you learn. So, and now I think, you know, it's just, again, as a queer person, something I'm really aware of. And, you know, it's a conversation that I have on a regular. And I think people are starting to hear more and more about it. So, you know, it's definitely something that I think is becoming more common knowledge than not now. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely agree. I definitely agree. I mean, as a queer person as well, it's one of those, you don't really think about it. And because it's not your situation, it's not something you deal with. But I think in today's social political climate, it's more important than ever to create safe spaces where we can have open, candid conversations and educate people on, you know, certain things and and preferences. And so I, I'm so excited for this because like Jess, I mean, we're in Montana And so it's not something like I've thought about it. It's something that's always made sense to me. It's like, you know, if I do a pixie cut on a woman that takes me 30 minutes versus a lob uh, that takes me 45 or long hair on a man that could take an hour sometimes what the pricing is just so off and it, it never made sense, but it was something that I never knew how to bring up and start. And so I'm just, I'm so excited for my own salon to even uh, begin the process for this. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think a lot of people have, have found themselves in that situation. And then when they realize that they're like, well, of course this makes perfect sense. Why didn't I think of that? And it's really because our industry didn't give us that knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to put it out there for anyone listening that, you know, this is um, especially like I said here in Montana, this is not a subject that comes up 
ever. And, but I want to encourage people to really pay attention, but also be ready to have these candid conversations. And if you need someone to start that conversation, Jessica and I are available after being educated today. But of course, Kristen is available as well as we're going to get into here. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you started your career, um, where, when you got into it, how, and then kind of leading into the dress code project. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Philip. Um, I became a hairstylist 15 years ago and I got out of school and I worked for a year and then I just wanted to open up my own salon because, you know, I'm stubborn and I didn't really like working for someone else. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we're hairstylists. We like to create, we like to do the things we like to do. And I just knew the way I wanted to, to work. So I opened up my salon, um, in, uh, Toronto, Canada and in a, in a, up and coming neighborhood at the time, I guess it was still, you know, very blended. And, um, and, uh, there were a lot of queer folks that lived in that neighborhood. Um, we used to joke around and say it was where the old queers came to settle down, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so, um, yeah, I opened up the salon. I put a rainbow sticker on my salon and, you know, had a very, very diverse crowd of folks come through the door and the clientele re- represented that. And one day, a couple of years later, I just had a a woman sit in my chair. She's transgender and I cut her hair. And the next day she tweeted to my salon that it was the first time she'd ever had a haircut and felt like a woman. And yeah, and it's still pretty powerful today to hear that and Mm -hmm. to remember it. And, um, you know, that was really what started it all. Um, you know, I just felt, you know, as hairstylists, we always feel so good when we allow someone allow, we, uh, we leave the, someone leaves the salon and they feel good. You know, it makes you feel good. You're, you made their day because they're looking in the mirror. They love their hair, makes them, you know, have a little extra pep in their step. And that makes us feel great. So when I got this tweet, I was, I felt that way for about a, a minute, you know, and then I, I felt really bad and I, I just sort of felt a bit ashamed. I think that the industry that I really love working in is not, um, it's not connecting with the community that I also identify within. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was, you know, it was, I think as well, what I realized was that this person had probably experienced this many times if they even decided to go into the salon that day, you know, um, if they, uh, if they allowed themselves to have the courage to walk through the doors, um, and, and try to get a haircut and not be misgendered, um, you know, and how, you know, this person had told me that she had been out as a transgender woman for five years. And I just wondered, you know, in that five years, you know, did this happen? How many times did this happen to her? You know, how long did she have to wait, you know, and it just didn't feel good. And so, um, I think there was just, um, you know, that part of me that was just like, you know, this needs to change. Really. Yeah. You know what I find so interesting is the beauty industry is so strongly connected to the queer community. You know, lots of hairdressers, makeup artists, and yet it is still a very antiquated system a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, um, again, I think that it's the foundations of how the beauty industry is built. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that the people that are working for the, for, you know, the general population um, at large, I don't necessarily think that hairstylists are working to not be inclusive. Yeah. I just don't think they know. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. um, almost every time I talk to a stylist about it, they're like, right. Yeah, of course. Like I already feel that way. I'm, I'm just not doing it. Cause again, it's like, we're not 
we're not taught that way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a problem in itself. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And like I said, I, I am always exploring ways to be more thoughtful um, to perspectives that I maybe don't live, but that I can see and support and understand and be an ally. But this never crossed my mind just for whatever reason. And learning this information, I feel like my mind has been blown. And I'm like, what other barriers do I have on my eyes that I don't know? Um, I feel like this has had a greater impact on me than maybe I'm even realizing at this moment. I think this is going to um, incorporate some things into my career that I wouldn't, I didn't see coming. Well, that's amazing. And, um, and that happens to me every day. And, uh, it still continues to happen. Um, you know, I, I feel like I have a certain expertise in this because I've lived it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I've been queer my entire life. I knew when I was very young that I was not straight and, uh, you know, and I, I've lived my life that way. So I've experienced a lot of these things myself and I'm a hairstylist for almost 20 years. And so the two things are just in me, but I still have to learn every day. I still have to be an ally to my community and I still have to be an ally to other communities. And it's a constant chain of, of regularly accessing information and understanding it, interpreting it, and then putting it into play every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With our, um, one of the conversations we had with Renee Gadar talking about um, creating a safe space for all races within the salon industry, specifically speaking to black women in their hair. She, she really talked a lot about um, allyship is not saying I stand beside you, but it's seeking on a daily basis to understand what the experience might look like from, the, from their perspective. So I think this is again, a really good opportunity to, try to understand and experience from a variety of perspectives. Yeah. Um, she's like a hundred percent on the money there, you know, um, allyship is, we always say allyship is actually standing, um, sometimes in front, sometimes beside and sometimes behind. Mm -hmm. And, but I think the important thing of allyship is, um, is showing up and learning and then putting what you learn um, to use yeah. in however way that is that you do that, whether that's you telling somebody else, Hey, look, like, look what you're doing mm-hmm. and you, you know, saying something rather than staying silent, um, or, you know, actually, um, you know, starting something yourself, you know, there's so many different ways you can be an ally, but yeah. it's, it's also in, in, you know, whether it's race related or gender based, you know, or it, within the queer community, um, it's not just saying that you're an ally. It's just not mm-hmm. enough anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So did that experience launch you into the um, haircuts have no gender business model? No, um, my salon had actually already adopted that business model. And actually, that was why this woman came to see me. Mm. Um, You know, I I was, you know, I'm very open about being queer. And um, I think she knew that. And then, you know, it's like, um, a, a lot of like, you know, I have a rainbow sticker on the window, very inclusive atmosphere. And, and then, um, also I already had length based prices, not gender based prices. Nice. So, um, and, and actually what launched that for me was, like I said, I opened my hair salon in 2008 and about a year later, a year and a half later, again, had a very diverse clientele and, um, uh, I did a lot of short haircuts on all kinds of folks and a woman sent me an email one day and said, I love your salon. I love that you have a rainbow sticker up there. I love that you're queer. I love that there's tons of queer people that go there, but I really don't love that as a woman, um, with short hair, I have to pay $80 for a haircut, mm-hmm. um, which is the same price. Some other woman with long hair, but not a man with long hair. 
Yeah. And, um, and I was just like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, geez, you really just showed me something, yeah. you know? And, um, I wrote this, I wrote an email back thanking this client. Um, I was like, I hope you decide to come back because you've opened my eyes. Um, you know, this is a direct result of just being a robot coming out of school and, mm-hmm. you know, just following along instead of like questioning things. And so it was a really big lesson for me. And I immediately changed my pricing. And that was in in November. I I wrote on Facebook at the time, this, you know, this is what we're doing. We're going to be changing this in January immediately because we wanted to give time, time for people to adjust to it back then and stuff like that. And, you know, we did, we just changed it. And there were really hardly any issues at all. I think we had a few men with like with short hair who complained, which was really bizarre because they were nothing the actual changed. demographic that nothing changed for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was a bit weird, but we were just like, oh, all right, well, we're just going to keep doing our thing here. So, yeah. um, and it's been like that ever since. That's fantastic. So for individuals who are not familiar with, um, the non-gender based haircut pricing, can you walk us through a little bit about what that looks like? Um, obviously they can go to your website and check out your menu. So make sure to share where they can go find that, but walk Mm -hmm. people through, paint us a little bit of picture of what that looks like. Yeah. So if for anybody who is listening, um, if they do want to check it out, so they get a visual of it, um, our website is foxandjanesalon.com and it's under a pricing menu. And, um, and essentially what we've done is, um, you know, when I, I teach and educate people, our hairstylists on this a lot, and we always say there are two models that you can, you can kind of follow. Uh, I believe there are tons of models you can follow, but I'd really just bring up the two as examples and then allow hairstylists to go crazy with their their own imaginations and their own design. Um, but you know, um, there's the length, there's the length based, and then there's also timing based. And, um, you know, for us at our salon, we do length based. Um, so we do short cropped medium to long and then extra long hair. And of course it's, um, it's up to it. Like it's also about our skill, right. Mm-hmm. And the technicality that goes into things, but it's definitely not because you are a man or a woman, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely about the length of your hair cause it should be. Yeah. And, and we're hairstylists and we deal with hair, not gender. And, um, so people will look at our menu and they'll just see, this is what a short haircut is with a small description just to help people because of online booking and stuff like that. And, um, and that's it. And if you were to do say a, a price or a, um, timing based, um, menu, you might do something like a 45 minute cut, a 60 minute cut, and then a 90 minute cut, you know, mm-hmm. um, and go by time. And then of course, again, like if it takes a little extra, you might have an extra fee that goes on top of that. Again, like our industry, it's up to our discussion and we share that with the clients and stuff like that, because what we do is so subjective, right? Yeah. Do you ever find someone, um, maybe more specifically in the time-based model, trying to be cheap and getting, uh, haircut in a different bracket for timing. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't work in the time-based model, so I really can't speak to that experience. However, what I can speak to is length-based and we have definitely had a few folks who I like to just think accidentally booked the wrong service and they scrunch um, their shoulders up. So they're like, yeah, you know, I think, I think we get a lot of, um, of, 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 um, cisgendered men who are very much used to the old pricing model, um, that is, you know, uh, about it's a binary, it's the, the men's and women's haircuts. So I think they know where they're coming into in my salon. 
Um, but I think they just sort of like, it's on autopilot. Right. And they're yeah. like, Oh, um, I'm going to book this haircut cause my hair's short. And then it's like, Oh, Hey there. Um, your hair's not short. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to walk you through this real gentle, you know? And so we just like very gingerly talk to them about the length of their hair and how we're length based pricing and how we're going to do this. But the great news is that we're cutting your hair really short today. So the next time you come in, you book that short haircut. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, you have to like, you have to be tactful and I never like to assume that someone is trying to be deceitful. Um, yeah, Yeah. but I mean, you know, it, it works out. Um, we're really clear about how we work and we're, we're really clear about guiding people through it as well. I love that. So do you price uh, just a question that popped in my head for what they have or what they're going for? So we price what they have because that's the work that we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody, and we get that question quite a lot. Um, but if somebody is coming in and they've got hair past their shoulders, but they really want a short haircut, like, you know, shaved on the sides with a bit of length on top, then we'll just be like, listen, this is, um, this is an extra long haircut and this is going to be the price today. But again, the next time you come in, make Mm -hmm. sure you book this because now it's this. And the great thing about that is they're like, holy my haircut's going to be $45 less next time, you know? Yeah. Yep. And um, with that shorter and they, haircut, they love it. They're probably coming in quite a bit more frequently too. So as the yeah. service provider, you get that perk of a uh, more frequent visit. Exactly. And that kind of brings to a point that I've had um, some folks ask me about, you know, well, I'm going to lose money if I do that, but you won't because those yeah. folks who were being charged for long cuts, even when their hair was short, they'll just come in more often. Like they want to in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So the dress code project, a few things. I would love for you to walk us through kind of what that company is, what the model is, and how people can participate in it. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about the story behind the name. What does the dress code project mean? And how did you come up with that title? Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's something that people don't ask a lot. And I'm always like, I wonder if people know why because it's a weird name for a hair company in a sense right yeah um and it is it goes back to my irish catholic roots um and as a child having to go to school and always wear a uniform and you know feeling super awkward in that uniform all the time because in my head i didn't really identify as a girl Mm -hmm. and i had to wear a kilt and, um, you know, I was awkward and it felt weird. And, um, and it just made me, it reminded me of how we were so gendered at such young ages, mm-hmm. even by, not just by the colors, but by the clothing that we had to wear. And, um, you know, um, dress codes were a huge part of that. Going to school, I had to wear a dress code. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so it's kind of a little bit more about like, um, I think breaking that open a little bit and kind of going against that idea. That's cool. I love that. I love it. Yeah. And it's also a little bit like middle finger to the Catholic right. system. Yeah. <laughs> Fully on board with that. <laughs> I love it. So talk to us about um, what the dress code project is and how people can be involved with it. So the dress code project is an organization that's a not-for-profit and it's an alliance of um, gender affirming hair salons and barbershops that we have um, put together so that folks who identify within the LGBTQ2S communities can come into these hair salons and already know that we're doing the work to try to make them feel um, safer in our spaces. 
Um, and by safer, I mean that we're educating hairstylists so that they understand, you know, what it means to use pronouns, what pronouns are, how people identify, um, talking about, you know, one of the biggest tools we have in our toolkit is, um, a hair consultation. So we teach them how to talk in like talk about gender affirming hair consultation. So you're not saying to a client, do you like this boy's cut or this girl's cut? Mm. Like you're actually talking about the characteristics of the haircut, showing some photos and you're, you're getting around and figuring out everything you need to do without bringing up gender. Yeah. I love that. Can you give me a short little side tangent lesson on pronouns? Um, meaning when is it expected for lack of a better word, somewhere between expected and appropriate to ask for a pronoun. Um, cause I obviously don't ever want to make the assumption, but I mm-hmm. don't know if there are negative consequences to asking somebody who isn't familiar with why you would be asking. And so mm-hmm. do you know what I, I just don't want to do it in the wrong context or the wrong way. And I've honestly never asked somebody that. So mm-hmm. I would love the opportunity to do it in the most respectful, thoughtful way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I appreciate you wanting to learn about it. And it's funny because there are a lot of um, things about that. I had a conversation about this today where, you know, um, like I actually had a conversation with um, a transgender person who was like, sometimes I don't want people to ask me about my pronouns because it is a little bit uncomfortable just Mm -hmm. because they don't want that to be part of the service. Mm -hmm. You know, they just want to have their hair cut. Um, and then there's also another part, and I'm not sure if this is what you were getting at, Jessica, but this is also a real thing where if you ask someone their pronouns and they're maybe not used to it because let's say they're straight or straight identifying or straight passing, um, and they never get that, they may get offended. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there, there are two different parts to it. And um, so what I actually really like to do is, um, I think as hairstylists, I think that we are um, master controllers of our environments and the conversations like we are you know, uh, we're talkers and we're listeners. And I like to really listen to the client and gather information so that I know what I need to ask and what I don't need to ask where the hair is concerned. And I do the same thing when the conversation, where the conversation is concerned. Mm -hmm. So if I hear words, like the person is talking about their partner and they start to get comfortable with me and then they start talking about themselves, that's when I might bring it up. Um, you know, I've had experiences before in my salon, um, where someone has come in and they've put their pronouns within our booking system. So I'll introduce myself and say, hi, um, my name's Kristen and my pronouns are they, them. And immediately I, I, I believe that I'm setting them at ease because I am acknowledging my own pronouns. Mm-hmm. I'm putting, but I'm doing it in a way that I'm putting myself out there first. I'm not going, Hey, I'm Kristen. What are your pronouns? You know, cause that can be quite jarring. Yeah. And, um, and so I think there's just a way to, I always feel like setting yourself into it and talking about yourself first and putting yourself there first mm-hmm. is a nice way to do it. But of course, again, I really believe you should lead, listen to the conversation, then take your cues that way. Yeah. I, and that's such a organic thing to do is naturally feel the conversation. And I feel like when you're vibing with somebody, you can feel if it's yeah. somebody who wants yeah. to indulge that part of their life with you, or if they just truly want to be, you know, separated from it, they just want the professional transaction. Exactly. And it has nothing to do with Which your, is gender, fine your gender identity, your gender expression, nothing, right? It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's just simply about what that person feels like talking to you about. Um, and I know the one thing that I always feel comfortable talking to them about is their hair. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> got that one. <laughs> I love it. So, um, go c- talk to us a little bit more about the, um, the, um, dress code project. And, um, you mentioned that it's creating that safe space for people. How would a salon participate in your company or in your program? What would that look like? Yeah. So, um, they could go to our website, which is dresscodeproject.com. And, um, when you go there, there's a get involved, um, button that you can click on and it will say become a dress code project member. And if you're a salon owner or hairstylist, you can click on that. And there's an intake form that you can fill out with all the information about what you have to do and what it takes to become a dress code project gender affirming salon. And if you're the other, like the other side of our website is for clients who can go to a directory that we have, um, type in their zip code or their postal code and any dress code project identifying salon will pop up and they will see, uh, the proximity to their zip code or the postal code. And then they'll know that that salon is within our community. That's awesome. So before we started recording today, um, I looked up, uh, Montana, where we both live, and we don't have any dress code project salons registered in Montana. So Philip and I have made the pact together to use our platform at the podcast to um, get the first dress code project salon affiliation in Montana. We're going to make it happen. Uh, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. It's yeah. always uh, it's always so fantastic to be able to get the word out there and have folks like yourself um, helping us and doing the work and being allies. It's awesome. We've had the conversation at my salon and it's just kind of a, we didn't know what the next step would be. You know, mm-hmm. should we just right. drop the ball and just be like, boom, one day we have this or, you know, and it was it was just one of those that's never been at the top of the priority list. And it's funny because like two or three weeks ago, uh, one of my employees came up and was like, Hey, I've heard about like genderless haircuts. What is that? And I was like, Oh yeah, I've thought about that. You know, it's kind of this. And, uh, and then the next week just came and was like, Hey, we should interview this girl, uh, or this, uh, com- for this company. And, um, I was like, totally, let's get them on board. I, I want to, I want to do this. And so I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really great to be able to, um, have that snowball effect, you know, where you, you find something out and then it just like trickles down. Well, and for me, like, again, after Renee Godard's, uh, interview, she talked about how, when, um, a black woman walks into a salon and just has this feeling like doesn't see her own kind, doesn't, you know, feel safe in that space. And, and like you, uh, were talking about with the transgendered woman, you know, finally for the first time feeling affirmed for just something like a haircut. And it's like, as hairdressers, I think you can ask any hairdresser out there and all they want to do is just make someone feel good about themselves after doing their hair. And at the end of the day, that's, that's our job. And that's what yeah, we're here for. Exactly. That is exactly it. At the end of the day, our job is about what is on someone's head. Yeah. And, um, and, and yes, I feel what Renee was saying. Um, you know, like our industry t- traditionally is, is, was and still is very based in heterocentric and heteronormative, um, you know, practices and, and that are geared towards white people. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that really there is any education about textured hair within our hair schools. At least there wasn't when I went to school, there was a tiny bit, but certainly not enough. Um, and definitely, you know, definitely nothing about 
anything other than a men's or women's cup. Yeah. yeah. I, so I work specifically for Aveda and mm-hmm. this is not an Aveda plug. This the podcast, <laughs> the podcast is a brand neutral space. We are not brand affiliated. Mm-hmm. However, um, <laughs> in the Aveda schools moving forward, um, what we've, they've done is they've put a high, like a four C four B textured mannequin and all the kits and all of the curriculum they go through. So when they do color curriculum and when they do blonding and balayaging, they'll do it on different mannequin textured types to work throughout the entire program on different textured hairs. Um, It's a new thing, which is fortunate that it's in there. Unfortunate that it took this long to make it happen, but um, really proud and excited to say that it's been something that has been heard loud and clear and is starting to be implemented in that foundational learning. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's great that educational facilities are starting to look at these things and getting involved. It's super unfortunate that it's taken so long. Mm -hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that it's potentially 2020 that has brought it to light, Mm -hmm. but it's good that it's happening. Yes. Um, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, we, I, I love Aveda. I think it's a great school. Um, I have a lot of friends and, and coworkers that have, that have gone there and there's a lot of education coming out of there. It's really fantastic. And we may be in the talks with the beta right now. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, well, you're in good company. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a good company. So, um, you know, I think it's important. I think it's really important for, um, educators to get the full spectrum of things, you know, and yeah. cause we do service people. We service many different kinds of people. And, uh, I think that the change has to happen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Right, so someone's on your website, they click, they want to be part of it. What are they being part of as far as, are you providing resources to coach them through the process? Um, can any, just anybody join in? Do you have like a vetting process to ensure the, um, quality of the stickers that you're sending out there to people? How, what does that look like? Yeah. So we, um, like I said, we have an intake form. That's the first step. We ask a few questions on that intake form. For example, um, do you have gender affirming washrooms? So do you have a washroom that, um, says like has the two washrooms and one has a sign that's an emblem of a, of a female body and one's a male body, or do you have, I think one of the best, um, uh, signs for a washroom that I ever saw was I was in Sweden a few years ago doing work there for dress code projects. And I went to use the washroom and there was a toilet paper roll on it. And I was just like, that <laughs> is brilliant. What's happening? I want um, that. I want that for our salon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, so it's just little things like that in the beginning. And then, um, you know, uh, we, we send information. So, when I started this, I realized that I had a lot of educating to do myself before I could educate anyone else. And I had a lot of learning, even though as a queer person, there were just a lot of things I needed to know before I started talking to people about this. And, um, you know, so I took a bunch of classes and then I worked with a charity here in Toronto called the 519. And they do a lot of education and training around, um, services like gender-based services, um, Trans 101, education on queer folks underneath the entire spectrum. They do so much work. Mm-hmm. And um, for about four months, we worked together to incorporate this inclusive training and language that they had and, ma- and make it um, hairstylist friendly. And um, so we made it into a 25 page infographic uh, 
guide for gender affirming hair salons so that it applied to what we do, but it came from their information source. And, um, and then we provide a few stickers. Um, we provide ongoing education. Um, we do, um, when you become a dress code project member salon, um, we provide, uh, two opportunities a month to, um, to tune in and, um, hear me talk. First of all, for an hour a month, I'll answer questions that hairstylists ask. Mm -hmm. And then, um, for an hour a month, I'll educate on something like, let's say length, length based prices. Mm. Cool. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to get whatever yeah. salon I get on the program so I can take them through it. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. She's looking right at me. <laughs> <laughs> so a question I have back to your intake form is I am fully on board and supportive of the washroom. Um, Phillips, the group of salons that Philip runs is really spa heavy. So mm-hmm. can you talk to us about the most respectful way to do locker rooms where um, people are changing? We currently do have them set up as a men's locker room and a women's locker room. And then mm-hmm. there is a common area with steam room saunas, that type of stuff. But what would be the kindest setup to have for a spa space that would make everyone feel comfortable? I think there are a lot of different models that spa owners can do. I myself am not a spa owner, so um, I don't want to speak to their experiences. However, I think that communication um, is the best way to go about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether you have the space to make something a common area, whether you have um, this, this times um, uh, you know, different, different models are definitely solid ways that you can go about that. Um, I think it's just being respectful and also being very clear about your messaging. Um, you know, um, it's really clear when you walk into my salon that it is a space where all folks are welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think as a result, our clientele is reflected in that. And, um, we have clientele that come in and, and recognize that they're not, going to use language that's not okay because it could be offensive to some other guests that's there. And I think that really is, um, the best way to go about it is just being very open and clear with your intentions as your, as an owner of your, of your space. Would it be unkind or not? I don't even, I don't even know what the right words. I can't even think of how to ask these questions politely. I'm so caught up in my head with it, but to have a male's locker room, a female's locker room, and then an unassigned, or I don't know what the right word is to use there. Uh, I would say all gender is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I absolutely think that's appropriate for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I love it. And then, so I know you also do some really great events. Um, I had been reading a little bit about you and I heard about the first event that you did that was um, complimentary haircuts for individuals in the trans community who maybe haven't had the opportunity to experience a safe place like that. Talk to us about that program and what that looks like. Yeah. So when I started this, um, when we started to gain some traction and getting, we were getting a lot of salons join us. Um, I recognized at one point that, uh, you know, this is amazing. Um, but that there was uh, definitely a a group of, of folks within our communities who maybe could not afford to come into these spaces, um, and pay for these haircuts. And, um, I want our haircuts and our services to be accessible to all folks in our communities. And so, uh, decided to, I like to call it the dress code project side hustle. Um, we, we call it the gender free haircut club. 
Cool. And so what we were doing pre-pandemic was uh, going into different dress code project uh, uh, salons, and we were asking the owners if they would donate their space and the stylists if they would donate their time for four hours an afternoon, um, usually on a Sunday or Monday, the days that you know most salons are are closed. Um, to do um, the Gender Free uh, Haircut Club. And what that was is folks within the queer communities who were marginalized in some way um, and wanted to access our services could come in. Um, There's no charge and they could get haircuts and know that we would understand uh, what it was they were looking for and we would try to provide them with a space that was gender affirming. And uh, we were doing that yeah, I think it was about once a month here in Toronto and it started to catch on and we started doing it in different places in the United States. We were in different um, provinces here in cities in Canada. We were also in um, Australia, Sydney, Australia. And then we ended up doing a bunch in, I ended up actually traveling to go and do them and to host them um, in Italy, in Spain, in England. Mm-hmm. That's if you ever need a chaperone. <laughs> I'm your I girl. Get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's really fantastic. Yeah, it's something we're really proud of. Um, you know, because we just I mean, we don't want to leave anyone out, you know, and it's um it's you just have to think about all of those angles, I think, and that's what we're always trying to do. Yeah, I love it. Um, so is there anything else that you feel like is really important for somebody who is an owner to maybe have on their radar when they're looking at their business um, of things that they could do in a more thoughtful way? Yeah, I mean, I think like there are a few things that folks can do. I, I think also as an owner, you know, when you're looking at it, like, I really hope that people will look at this from a human side of things. And they I really hope that they'll just want to be inclusive and good to all of their clients, um, regardless of how they identify. Um, but maybe, you know, taking it from another perspective is like the business side of things, right? Mm. Um, having haircuts that people can identify with are super important. Having haircuts that are not, um, pricing women out of getting a haircut, regardless of their length of their hair is super important. You know, like they're more expensive just because they're not a man. That's super important. Mm -hmm. Um, I think recognizing something else that is a third factor in it, um, is, is generations. Um, you know, so a lot of the work that I do with is with a lot of younger generations and I've learned so much from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, in, I think it's 20, by the end of 2021, uh, or 2022, 40% of the purchasing population is going to be millennials and under. And, um, I think why that's important for hairstylists and hair salon owners to understand is because these these folks, these generations are really aware of, yeah. of a lot of things and they definitely are aware of where they want to spend their dollars yeah. and they are political with their money. Yep. And if you don't get that, you will get left behind. Yeah. And, um, and so as a business owner, for me, where I see that is invisibility. Um, mm-hmm. How am I going to make my information accessible to folks like them that are, are looking for it, technology. So your websites, your Instagram accounts, and your reviews. If they're not reflecting in the values of, of this these generations, then you might have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, because it used to be that people would just walk into our salon and our, our, our salon receptionist would be sitting there with a smile on their face and greet them and be pleasant and customer service. Customer service today 
is a lot less about that. There are still some salons that have receptionists, but I think we all know that we're really quickly moving out of those models. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those receptionists become our Instagram accounts. My Instagram account has a pride flag on it. My Instagram account also has my pronouns on it. My Instagram account, I try to reflect a lot of different types of folks on it. Um, my website has prices that are reflected in, um, hair instead of gender, you know, mm-hmm. and the technicalities and the length of hair instead of gender. Um, and if you come into my salon, uh, that, well, the chances are if you, if you see that and you, um, are aware of how you spend your money, you're probably going to come into my salon. And when you do come into my salon, all of those things you see on my website and on my Instagram account will be reflected in my salon as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said the new generations because I was just thinking like this past week here in the U.S. with the stock market and really what millennials and Gen Z did mm-hmm. when they saw something going. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of what was happening, GameStop. but yeah, with GameStop, yeah, they yeah. put a real quick stop to that, and it's like <laughs> this is the power of the younger generation. They well, want, yeah, they want to align their their allies and and they want to align themselves with not just to get a good haircut, but do business with people that have the same values and morals as, as they do. And if, like you said, if we skip out on that, because, you know, cause I was just thinking like here in Montana, I, I I've worked with stylists and owners. I can just hear it already. Oh, this is Montana. You know, this is, we're conservative and we're going to mm-hmm. make more people mad because of this than the people we're going to make happy. And it's like, you're falling quickly behind. Yeah. Unless you're going to retire in the next three to five years, that mindset does not work anymore. It does not. No. And I think just doing right by humans, you know, like uh, my mom is 70, for example, and I'm teaching that woman lessons all day long. And she's (laughs) like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like it does. I think just seeing humans, I think what 2020 has done in my experience, it, it has brought in forward the compassion that humans can have yes. to other humans, regardless of what other, other hangups previous generations may have had. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like anything yeah. my mother's generation had that may have been passed down onto me, I am of a generation that has the capacity to maybe evolve through it. Exactly. I'm and on I, behalf of me, not I th- my brothers. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think that um, you know, uh, as a queer person and as a white queer person, um, you know, I think that it's super important to be able to use your voice and your privilege, um, Mm -hmm. to be able to speak up. And I try to do it in a really respectful way because, you know, um, I think being respectful to someone is an, is a better way to be able to start and be engaged in a conversation. Mm. Um, and, so, and that's what I'm interested in is like, not, not, uh, not getting defensive and not yes. being on the offense, but can I talk to you about this? Can we have a real conversation? Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You definitely yeah. have people that are set in their ways yep. in all ages. And I've experienced that as I'm sure many people have, but yeah. I think it's important to just remember that, you know, um, as people with privilege, it is our job to speak mm-hmm. up and say something. Yeah. And Philip and I have talked a lot about um, if you don't know somebody, it's your job to discover those communities and discover those people because they're out there. They're everywhere. And if you don't see them in your social media, in your day to day 
things that you do, then that's on you to yeah. open up those gates and discover it and find and build relationships elsewhere. Philip has been such a fantastic friend to me to be able to ask questions to. Um, you know, I think it's important to have a safe relationship with somebody. And Kristen, I'm adding you to this list now of if I'm <laughs> not comfortable, I don't know the right words to use to go to somebody and say, these are my intentions. Help me find the words for it. Yeah. And I think it's important that you do that. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to be resources for folks. I know that I have put myself in this position and I'm totally fine with it. Um, you know, and, and it's something that I'm happy to do for people. And I think, you know, being able to, um, also give someone the leeway to make a mistake is important. Um, I try to talk to people when, whenever I start a conversation with, um, a group of people, when I'm educating or training, I always try to say that to them, look, I'm here as a resource for you for an hour. This is why I am here. I know what my intentions are. So utilize that. There are no stupid questions here. Mm -hmm. Be respectful. Um, be here with the intention to learn and the intention to take something that you can take away from this and start practicing in your day to day. And as long as that is what's going on, then, you know, I'm happy to be a resource for people. That is what I'm here for, you know, and, and I want to, uh, if I can help educate people, then I feel like that, that things are working, you know? Um, and it's important to also know where we can, we, where we can as allies do the work as well. Um, you know, um, and where we can find that so that we're bettering ourselves on a regular basis. It's so good. I always try and tell people, I think the most important thing, because I had a friend one time who's very conservative and we have a good relationship so we can have these open conversations. And she asked, she was like, I don't get the whole gender neutral thing, non-binary thing. Like, I don't get it. Like, just what? And I said, I don't either, because that's not how I identify. I've always identified as he, him, male. I'm gay. Um, That's just where it is. But it's not about me. It's not about you. No, it's, you know, it's it's so true, Philip, to be perfectly honest with you. I haven't got a clue about being straight. Um, (laughs) I don't identify with it. I don't get it, but it doesn't mean that I can't empathize with it and be kind. You don't have to get it to be able to practice it. You really don't have to get it. If you want to get it amazing, do the work to figure it out. Um, but you don't have to get it. You just have to be a kind person that wants to be inclusive. Yeah, I think a key word you use there is empathize. And I think another layer of that is creating space for somebody of a different opinion, whatever it be political um, orientation, any race, any of those things, creating space for them to live their life and do them. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can empathize and understand, but let them have their space, let them be yeah. them. And it doesn't have to impact you. Yeah. I, I mean, hopefully it will impact you in a really positive way and you'll, you'll be um, educated and enlightened from it. Um, you know, and I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we really still do live in a very white heterocentric world. And, um, so we definitely have to be able to, um, put our fragility aside and, um, accept information from people, which is really hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a white person, I'm like, man, I got to like, listen and hear and then take that and do it and do that all over again on a regular basis. And I'm constantly trying to be a better ally to the POC and the black community. Um, and it's, it's no different with, um, the queer communities. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I I feel so much more comfortable on this subject and I feel like I've learned so much. I I can't thank you enough for this conversation. 
Well, thank you for giving me the space to have it. I really appreciate the both of you taking the time to learn about it and um, also hopefully putting it into practice yourselves in your daily lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, we're committing to bringing that first dress code project salon to Montana. Um, (laughs) I work with over 50 different salons here. So um, hopefully I'll be bringing quite a few of them to your um, lineup. I have Um, a, uh, thank you. I have a meeting. I'm taking all my leads out to dinner on Tuesday and this is now going on the docket for Um, what we'll be talking about at that meeting. So I'm, I'm so excited. I thank you. I mean, thank you just for spearheading this. And, you know, I, I've never, um, Oh, I'm getting kind of emotional a little bit. (laughs) It's, you know, I, when you started talking about privilege, it really hit me because I've, I've always like, it's an, I've always kind of joked about it. Like I'm a short gay, half Asian, you know, man in Montana and never really thought of myself as someone who could lead the way in this, this area and in this subject. And, um, you know, I do recognize that I have some privilege that I'm not, you know, a complete, you know, full person of color, or some people have said I can pass a straight. I don't think so. But uh, <laughs> apparently think- some people... I was going to say, how dare they? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and so, but, you know, I've been, I've been told here in Montana, like, I've had girlfriends and, and friends and who've said like, you know, all these straight guys just like love you. And I'm like, okay. And I've never thought of that as privilege. And it totally is that I can, I can be someone that can at least start the conversation or be at least the salon that leads the way. Cause it, it is, it is a little terrifying and that's a little scary in such a conservative rural, um, atmosphere here in this state and where we live, it's, it's of all the state, it's probably the most liberal and, and largest queer community we have, but it's still, it can be a little scary. And so I'm excited to kind of lead the way. And even if it's a little bit of light or hope for one non-binary transgender person, or even a woman who just doesn't want to pay my full $85 haircut because she has short hair and she feels better about that. It, it really, it, gives me fuel and energy to kind of start that charge. That's really amazing to hear. I'm really excited for you to start that. If you need anything, let me know. I'm here for you. Um, And we can definitely, uh, you know, we can definitely work that out in Montana um, and, and support you in that. Um, you know, that's, that's what we do is what we're here for. And, you know, I understand conservative spaces can be a little bit scary, Um, you know, and, uh, as a business owner, it can be really scary. Um, I think there are proper ways to bring conversations up, especially with the clients who you have good relationships with. And and I feel like if they see something is important to you and it does hit you, um, they'll listen, you know, they may not agree. Um, but it's a conversation that you can at least start. And, um, you know, uh, this in the same breath, like I belong to communities that is marginalized. I'm a queer person, but I also have the privilege of passing as a white person, you know, because wow. I am white. And so I have that privilege. And so it's, it's sometimes confusing because you're like part of this marginalized community and you're part of this privileged community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to take that privilege side and you have to make sure that you're constantly working on it. Yeah. Love I love it. it. Well, we've got two things left. Um, one of the things we love to do is three random questions from the Google random question generator. So we'd love to take you through three of those. 
Sure. Um, but before we do that, will you please remind um, folks, I'm going to take your word because I like you say folks. It's cute. Um, Thank you. Will you remind folks where they can find you, um, learn more about your projects? Yeah. Thank you so much, Jessica. Um, so on Instagram, we're at the dress code project and then our website is dresscodeproject.com. And on the website, you can, as a hairstylist, find out all the information you need to know to become a dress code project member salon or stylist. And as a, as a, um, client, you can also find the directory of the, the salons and spaces that are near you. Um, yeah, that's it. That's where you can find us. I love it. And uh, Philip and I both also invite anyone to reach out who feels like they need some local support. If you're yes. in Montana, Washington, Idaho, any of this areas I service, um, I'm more than happy to help facilitate this relationship and support um, you through that process as much as I can too. Philip, you look cute when you cry. <laughs> Thanks. Don't All right. Let's find out what Google wants to know. All right. Okay. Hold on one sec. What is a unique daily habit that you have? Oh my gosh. Um, making coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got really into it a couple of years ago and I just went buck wild on my personal Instagram account and was like posting all these really <laughs> fine pictures of my Chemex coffee maker. Yes. And, uh, you know, now I've calmed down a little bit because I have two jobs now and, um, I don't have all the time to take all the photos, but I still do enjoy waking up in the morning and using my pour over Chemex coffee maker. <laughs> I love it. Philip's got one right here. Yeah. We're recording in his kitchen. There you go. Beautiful. It. It, it, there is something actually really therapeutic about the it's the process of it. Absolutely. Like I've got, I buy whole beans. I've got my grinder. Yes. Yep. I've got my gooseneck kettle. Same, you know, same. I'm just yep. in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. What about you, Jess? What's your daily? Mm, I think one of my more unique ones, I don't know if everyone does this. I drink... Um, So when I wake up in the morning before I do anything, I sit and read a book and and that big beanbag in my living room. Oh yeah, I sit there and read for 30 minutes and I drink apple cider vinegar with hot water. Okay. All right. Nice. So it's kind of like before anything else goes in the body, I have all these gross drinks I drink. I drink (laughs) apple cider vinegar water and then hot lemon water and then a fresh pressed celery juice. Oh, But I can get them down so quick because I have to wait an hour after I finish those before I can have coffee. Mm. And wow. so I'm like slamming those so I can get that timer <laughs> waiting for that hour to coffee. I unfortunately am still rocking a Keurig, but I will get on your guys's level here soon. <laughs> you got to, you'll love it. I can show you a couple <laughs> things. What about you, Philip? Um, I think we may have talked about this before, but I started a few years ago. I make my bed every single day. Mm. Like mm-hmm. if I'm just hanging out the house, it's like the first thing I do when I wake up, I, Cause I'm a crazy sleeper too. So it looks like a tornado hit my room when I wake up. And so I just like make my bed, put my pillows up real nice. And yeah. If you, I heard that's like one of the habits of like very successful people, just so you know. Yeah. yeah. I, that's why I started. I think I saw something on like, Oprah. is it that military guy? Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think it what yeah, and it was and he talked about how it um when you have this goal to do it every day, when you hit a goal, it you get a little release of dopamine. And yeah. so when you can start your day off with that little bit of dopamine, it keeps you in line to achieve more throughout the day. I think there's a lot on making your bed. It instills yeah. discipline and yep. then people talk about how when you have an organized space, it creates less mental chaos and yes. things like that. Yeah. Okay, so if you were to midday midday nap, 
Would you nap on your couch or would you mess your bed up? Couch all the way. Mm. I'm oh, not definitely a, couch. Yeah. Not really? a bed napper. I think it might be because I have a toddler. If any napping <laughs> is going to go down, I have to like barricade myself in my bedroom. <laughs> I do not make my bed because Trent and I sleep with separate blankets. Oh, he has mm. like a light, fluffy little throw. And I have like a down comforter, mm. like flannel. Yeah. All right. Next one. Let's see what Google wants. Oh, I like. Are you a bath or a shower person? I gotta say, I'm a Libra, and we're all about <laughs> balance. And uh, mm-hmm. I am true to that. Um, I like a good bath. Like when I need a bath, I like to just go up there and put some Epsom salts in it, put on some music, and just chill out. But I also really love my shower. So um, there are just mornings where I'm like quicker. I got to get things done. So hopping in my shower is uh, definitely the way I'm. Ha- what's happening that day? Yeah, I love it. What is shower. That? I cannot stand baths. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like a dirty thing. Like, you know, some people are like, Oh, it's weird sitting in. No, it is. I am just, I am not, I can't, I can't sit there for that long. I've like, I've done the whole, like, I'm going to light a candle and put Epsom salts and <laughs> the whole CBD salts. I recently tried, I will get in. I'm like, I am so damn bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to like put on some music or bring in a book or yeah. something like that, you know? Yeah. Or listen uh, to your favorite podcast with your best friend. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Jess? For sure, bath taker. Yeah. Yeah. I love baths. If I, I, a, I hate washing my hair. Oh. Like it happens like once mm-hmm. every seven to nine days. Um, <laughs> That's like every stylist, right? You're like, no, yeah. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and every friend I meet is like, oh my God, how could you do that? I'm like, you never knew before and you weren't grossed out. So it's fine. Yeah. You yeah. Still, yeah. You can still sit next to me. Um, I, that's part of it as I hate washing my hair, but I just love baths in general. Mm. I could do like a two hour oh. self spa day. That's luxury. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Especially with a toddler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he usually pops in and out a couple of times. You never know. Yeah. My, my dog does that. I've got, <laughs> I've got a hundred, I have two dogs, but I have a hundred pound American bulldog who can oh, totally wow. see over my tub. So he'll just like, come and look at me. Is and he I'm like, just so stocky? Sorry. Is he so stocky? A hundred pound bulldog. That seems. Yeah. Huge. He's a, he's a big guy. He's an American bulldog. <laughs> wow. Right. So he's a big guy. Okay. And, um, He's a total baby and he's my shadow. (laughs) So he's very, he's very muscly um, and he's very scary looking, but he's a big suck. (laughs) I love it. Those are the best kind. Yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. Last one. Last one. Oh, what is a TV character you'd like to be friends with? I think I know yours, Phil. You (sighs) go first though, Kristen. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. A TV character that I would like to be friends with. Jeez. Um, there are so many shows that I've watched in the last year that they all blur together. Um, what are some of your your favorites you've been watching? So I'm currently in the middle of, I may destroy you. I haven't watched that. Um, it's really, it's a really, it's such a powerful, um, intense, a gritty show, uh, HBO. I, I highly recommend watching it. Um, but I would say that the, the character that I would like to, I think has, have you all watched, um, uh, killing Eve? No, but I've wanted to, that's on. I think it's on my list. I have not. Okay. So 
It's a BBC co-production. Um, and it's got, um, Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh in it. Mm, And they, yeah, they're both fantastic. And they play these opposites where Jodie, Jodie Comer is this, um, absolutely, um, uh, insane, beautifully insane, um, uh, psychopath Mm. who is an assassin and um, and Sandra Oh is the M5 detective agent that is set out to get her. And um, and they're so opposite, but so brilliant. And they play such amazing opposite characters. And you never know if they are going to kill each other or they're just going to become a couple. It's oh. wonderful. And um, Jodie Comer's character's name is Villanelle. And I would say that if I could be a version of her, I would feel um, complete. I love that. Nice. I'm gonna, I yeah. wrote it down. I definitely got to watch that. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Who do you think mine is? Ew. Oh, no, you did not. David. Of course. Of <laughs> David course. is wonderful. <laughs> David. That is not my answer, mostly because we're so you similar. Are him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot, at least, I'm not kidding and or exaggerating. At least once a week, I get someone who yes. texts me and is like, I just started watching Shit's Creek and you're totally David. And I'm like, <laughs> I wish I had a dollar every time. And I'm Jessica, when you said, ew, I thought you were going to say Alexis. <laughs> 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 you know, we're really proud of, um, of Shit's Creek over here in Canada. Oh yeah, I oh, bet. Yeah. 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 He's much too bitchy to be Alexis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Exposed. David it is. Kristen, I'm not kidding you. Every episode she exposes me in some way. <laughs> I got one minute left in this episode. I had to get it in. <laughs> Who's your character? Um, okay, so after Kristen's answer, I seem really shallow. <laughs> I, I, oh my god! Don't I, worry, I'm. I'm it's okay. I said I wanted to be a psychopath assassin. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I want to be best friends with Nene Leakes oh, from The Real Housewives of Atlanta. All right, not all shocked right. at all. I know. Every time I watch it, my husband comes home and I'll be talking to him. And I'm like clapping in his face and snapping, and he's like, "Were you watching Real Housewives again? Like, who <laughs> are you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. My Nene Leakes is coming out." Oh my gosh. What about you, Philip? Who is it? Oh, yeah, I didn't actually answer. Yeah. Um, David. No, I think this is, I've talked about kind of being nerdy and techie, but I've never said this on the podcast yet, but I'm a huge Trekkie. I don't even know what that means. Ooh. Star Trek. Oh, Star Trek. Like literally I. They do this, right? D- stop. She's trying to do this. The live the long yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and I'm a huge Star Trek Voyager fan, so I bet no one listening knows what that is. But she, the captain of that ship, she her name is uh, Catherine Janeway, and she's just kind of a badass uh, female captain. I love it. Yeah. So I'd want to be friends with her, mostly nice. so I could just be on the starship. <laughs> That's all. I love it, and I love your little nerdy side. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been yes. such a pleasure getting to know you. Um, thank you. Yeah. We look forward to spreading this message. We look forward to bringing salons to the dress code mm-hmm. project. It's something we're both really passionate about and excited to um, have it be part of our future. So if you guys are loving what you're hearing on the podcast, if you learned something out of your time with us today, make sure to leave a review, show your podcast host some love by heading over to Instagram and giving us a follow at the beautiful hustle podcast. And while you're over there, go ahead and go follow Kristen, give them some love as well. And as always, every Everyone, thank you for listening. And until next time, stay beautiful and keep hustling.